First things first, I am recording this in the bedroom of my home. My wife is working from home and I don't want to be a distraction as she does her work. Because of this, you can hear sounds from the street pop up now and then. Secondly, because of the fast-paced nature of this crisis and the story developing, things as I've written them may not be current to the time I publish it. I apologize for this and for any errors I might make or any confusion it may bring up. Now, onto the episode. Tucker, no one reached out to me and said, uh, as a senior citizen, uh, are you willing to take a chance on your survival in exchange for keeping the America that all America loves for your children and grandchildren? And if that's the exchange, I'm all in. Um, and that doesn't make me noble or brave or anything like that. I just think there are lots of grandparents out there in this country, like me, I have six grandchildren, that what we all care about and what we love more than anything are those children. And I want to, you know, live smart and, uh, and, and see through this, but I don't want the whole country to be sacrificed. My, I'm just, my heart is lifted tonight by what I heard the president say, because we can do more than, you know, one thing at a time. We can do two things. So, you know, my message is that um, let's get back to work. Let's get back to living. Let's be smart about it. Uh, and those of us who are 70 plus, we'll, we'll take care of ourselves, but don't sacrifice the country. Don't do that. Don't ruin so this great American dream. So you're basically dream. saying that this disease could take your life, but that's not the scariest thing to you. There's something that would be worse than dying. Yeah. That was the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, on the Tucker Carlson Show. This is Cassandra Devereaux, and you are listening to The Red Stripe. A video that has become broadly distributed shows a plane full of 52 medical professionals from the economically poor, sanctions-devastated nation of Cuba arriving in Italy, one of the world's wealthiest countries. They are pictured descending from their plane holding the flag of their nation. They call this an army of white robes part of their program of medical diplomacy. This is an act of solidarity with poor, working class, and oppressed peoples of the world and the nations we live in. 68-year-old intensive care specialist Leonardo Fernandez said, quote, We are all afraid, but we have a revolutionary duty to fulfill, so we take our fear and put it to one side. He who says he is not afraid is a superhero but we are not superheroes, we are revolutionary doctors. Italy is not the only country to which Cuba is deploying doctors. Venezuela, Nicaragua, Jamaica, Suriname, and Grenada are also benefiting from the Cuban program. It is Cuba that has allowed a British cruise ship with five confirmed cases to dock in their harbor. As the ship arrived, crew members held a banner that read, I love you, Cuba. Further, despite sanctions, they are distributing a medicine they developed with China called interferon alpha-2b recombinant 
around the world. This drug has been proven effective in creating this novel coronavirus. Cuba's Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez Perilla has commented, quote, Cuba promotes peace, health, life. We are proud of our health professionals who, from this island, our different corners of the world, joined the fight against the COVID-19. They embody the humanist and solidarity vocation of the Cuban Revolution, end quote. While the coronavirus crisis was gaining steam and the President of the United States was effectively ignoring it, the State Department, under Mike Pompeo, attacked the Cuban medical program with familiar slanders, claiming the medical workers were being exploited and Havana was enriching themselves from the program. Indeed, the medical workers do not enrich themselves from the program. Cuba does negotiate with host countries, with a majority of the funds going back into the Cuban health system, which provides quality medical care for every Cuban. Sanctions are warfare by economic means, and Cuba has endured decades of sanctions. From a capitalist mindset, it is bewildering that doctors not prioritize their own material gains. But they do not describe themselves as revolutionary doctors for nothing. For a perfect, if horrific example of the capitalist mindset applied to medical care, we can look back to Italy. In the midst of Italy's exposure of infection and deaths in the COVID-19 crisis, the sadly small number of life-saving respirators needed to save lives started facing problems with a lack of valves. Two individuals, owning a 3D printer for their own concern, decided to print the missing valves so that the respirators could be used. The valves, which cost $11,000 from the manufacturer, would cost a dollar to print and would be donated to hospitals in crisis to treat patients immediately. When they asked the manufacturer for blueprints, they were met instead with threats, regardless of their intent to donate them rather than sell them, in order to help treat people during a deadly global pandemic. They were threatened with a patent infringement suit. Regardless, they measured the necessary parts and printed them anyway. They were distributed and are helping save lives in what was then the epicenter of the pandemic. Looking at the proletarian response to the crisis has been inspiring. Mutual aid efforts have been springing up everywhere. Mutual aid is the effort of the people to provide resources and services for those who need it for the thriving of the people. At covidmutualaid.org, the people of the UK can find mutual aid help near them. Anarchist author Cindy Milstein has a list on Google Docs of mutual aid efforts around the US and Canada, not only for supplies and services, but in organizing rent strikes for people unable to pay greedy landlords. Meanwhile, many with sewing machines have started scrounging what materials they can to make masks for medical professionals caught without any. The people are stepping up to care for each other. Meanwhile, 
the Trump administration has taken the opportunity to smear China. So petty and racist are they that they scuttled a G7 statement on the crisis because they insisted the language call it the Wuhan virus. Trump regularly calls it the China virus, and the administration also uses the term Kong flu, even to reporters of Asian descent. This is the tip of the iceberg. They're also slandering China's response. The claim is that China was secretive about the virus. In fact, on the 12th of December, Chinese television broadcast that a new viral outbreak was underway. By the 18th, only seven cases of what would later be identified as COVID-19 were documented. On the 20th, epidemiologists with the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention published an article on it. On the 25th, China Youth Daily reported on it. On the 30th, there were 27 known cases, 7 in critical condition and 18 stable. The Wuhan Municipal Health Committee issued an urgent warning on the outbreak. The virus had not yet been identified. On the 31st, China officially contacted the World Health Organization to share everything they knew. This is hardly a case of secretiveness. While China has been criticized for censoring social media discussion, this was in the interest of ensuring that the information coming out came from experts, not lay speculation. Their claims that the numbers of infected they gave were not accurate, but the claim is baseless. Meanwhile, they sequenced the gene by January 3rd and built two state-of-the-art hospitals in 10 days to treat the outbreak. Chinese workers are currently working 24-7 to manufacture masks and ventilators to send around Asia and Europe. The U.S. is not buying them. As the U.S. officially became the world's epicenter of the pandemic, with the most cases currently than any other country had ever seen, the president said in an interview on his favorite news network, Fox, quote, Look, it's a very bad situation. We haven't seen anything like it, but the end result is we've got to get back to work. And I think we can start by opening up certain parts of the country. Unquote. The interviewer was Sean Hannity, a personal friend who, journalistic ethics be damned, has taken the stage at his rallies. His priorities, not the health of the people, but of Wall Street, which has plunged into a bear market amid the pandemic. Meanwhile, New York State, where new cases are surging faster than anywhere else, has asked for enough ventilators to meet projections. 40,000 units. Trump's response, quote, I have a feeling that a lot of the numbers that are being said in some areas are just bigger than they're going to be. I don't believe you need 40,000 or 30,000 ventilators. You know, you go into major hospitals sometimes, they'll have two ventilators. And now all of a sudden they're saying, can we order 30,000 ventilators? Unquote. The numbers, of course, come from experts whose careers have been studying epidemiology,
viral outbreaks and public health. But Trump, as ever, is not swayed by experts. His initial response was to send 400 ventilators, which he then bumped up to 4,000, tens of thousands fewer than projections show will be required. The U.S. ruling class is the ruthless bourgeoisie, concerned more with their stock portfolios than the people. In defense of Dan Patrick's statements advocating sacrificing the elderly on the altar of Wall Street, Britt Hume said, quote, Well, I think he's essentially saying something that's not terribly different from what the president and Governor Cuomo have been saying, which is that this, what we're living in now, this circumstance as we try to beat this virus is not sustainable that the utter collapse of the country's economy, which many think will happen if this goes on much longer, is an intolerable result. You know, we don't shut down the economy to save every single life that's threatened by a widespread disease. We just don't." Unquote. Religious propagandists, such as R. R. Reno, editor at the religious journal First Things, put a supernatural spin to the call to sacrifice workers to the economy. He wrote a column saying, quote, There is a demonic side to the sentimentalism of saving lives at any cost, unquote. He went on to claim that Satan prefers sentimental humanists and, quote, The mass shutdown of society to fight the spread of COVID-19 creates a perverse, even demonic, atmosphere." Unquote. Despite Patrick and Hume's suggestion that they would be willing to die to save the economy, or Reno's pretensions that protecting public health is supernaturally evil, they know they'll never be called to actually sacrifice themselves. They're rich and powerful and will not need to labor shoulder to shoulder in crowded workspaces where the virus is spreading. What they're suggesting is that we die, that we sacrifice ourselves and our grandmothers to keep an economy going whose full fruits we do not share in. The bourgeois ruling class will continue to try to persuade us to die for their bottom lines. And of course, these three are not alone, mere, merely a sampling. Meanwhile, cynical capitalists are exploiting the crisis. Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man and the CEO of Amazon, has solicited donations from the general public in order to pay for contract and seasonal workers to get sick pay if they contract the coronavirus. Amazon is one of the wealthiest corporations in the world, worth over a trillion dollars, they are infamous for employees on the work floor having to pee in bottles so they don't fail to make quota and lose their jobs. Allowing workers to pass out from heat stroke rather than air-conditioned warehouses and having workers living in tent cities in Scotland's winter because they cannot afford to travel to and from work. They fired the organizers of a strike to win, that would win concessions to help protect workers against COVID-19, instead asking workers to donate days off 
to other sick workers. Even for the intolerable conditions that Amazon workers toil under, Bezos had the depraved gall to once say, quote, the only way that I can see to deploy this much financial resource is by converting my Amazon winnings into space travel. That is basically it, unquote. While there has been legislation to give paid time off to sick workers during the duration of the crisis, the largest employers are exempt, giving Amazon no obligation to provide this. It is an outrage that such conditions prevail to make Bezos grotesquely rich. It is beyond cynical that he asks those more generous than he, workers with far less resources than he has, to make up for his greed and to refuse to care for those he exploits so ruthlessly. Big business's callousness doesn't end there. It is they who have lobbied the administration not to invoke the Defense Production Act in order to direct them to produce ventilators and masks. Compounding the harm done by the refusal to buy China's ventilators, capitalism is, as ever, a cruel and ruthless scheme where those who generate the wealth are left with a mere fraction to allow them to survive and little more. Meanwhile, while there has been some minor decarceration of prisoners, migrants in concentration camps remain. In such crowded and inhumane conditions, ones which have already killed many, concentration camps become death camps proper. At the same time, poor and working-class people are waking into the realization of our power. One poster on Reddit's Domino's Pizza forums recalled a workplace story this way. Quote, This morning our GM announced he would no longer continue working unless offered paid sick leave and store shutdown for 14 days, as our entire store has been confirmed to have been exposed to COVID-19. He then told us good luck and walked outside. Every single driver on shift right now followed him outside. The other two insiders did as well. The store is fucking empty. Every employee is sitting outside on the curb, turning away anyone who tries to come inside. I peeked inside a few minutes ago and were like 85 orders down and you can see tags just pouring out of the printer. Unquote. Call centers in Brazil are also facing spontaneous wildcat strikes. Meanwhile, rent strikes are popping up. On a forum for landlords, one such leech posted, quote, Someone please tell me that this is going to be okay. I have no idea what to do. I own an apartment building in Houston with 32 units. This is my sole source of income. Tenants have apparently been talking to each other and this morning delivered a letter signed by every single unit saying they will not be paying rent for April and they will continue refusing to pay rent until this coronavirus is over and they can go back to work. Um, WTF am I supposed to do?
I can't possibly evict all of them at once, and especially right now, how am I even going to find new tenants if everyone is out of work? Is this illegal? What do I do? Someone please give me advice. I am seriously freaking out over here. This person, who gains profit for nothing more than owning needed housing, goes on to complain about the notion that they may have to dip into their savings to meet expenses because he's unable to evict tenants united for their own survival in the face of a global crisis. Unable to profit from those who are out of work to protect themselves. Solidarity causes the bourgeoisie to tremble before workers and poor people as we come into our collective power. Rent strikes are being organized and calls for a general strike where workers in every industry united as one are ringing out to ever more receptive ears. Despite the ever-pervasive propaganda that billionaires are job creators, it becomes ever more clear that instead Workers are wealth creators, and that we deserve to share in that wealth for the betterment of all, rather than allow bourgeois ghouls to extract and hoard it. Meanwhile, Cuban medical diplomacy is impressing people around the world. In an environment where material conditions for the masses decay and interest in socialism has been growing exponentially, People are seeing in this crisis the beginnings of what is possible. This pandemic will mercifully pass. While climate change means we will see new diseases arriving at an accelerating rate, we will soon be able to associate freely without fear of infection by this virus. The bourgeoisie will attempt to return us not only to the prior capitalist status quo, but an increasingly cruel one with even more austerity and ever more wealth extracted from workers and kept out of our hands. We need not accept this, however. Let the spirit of fight back. We see now bloom and bear fruit. Let's take the openings before us and carry this work forward to take the fight to the bourgeoisie and win a socialist future. This has been The Red Stripe. Please share this podcast with people you think might be interested. Thank you. Be well.